The new series is called um, Jesus's Bold Little Brother, and it's going to be a study of the book of James found in the Bible. Now, I want to come right out and say that we are not studying James the person for the sake of learning about James. Some people believe that when you study books of the Bible like this, that we can get so much head knowledge about the Bible that it can kind of take away from what our true object of study is, which is Jesus. But we're going to be studying James because sometimes when you want to get to know a person, you kind of look at things other than just the person. You can also talk to their family. And that's what we want to accomplish with the book of James. I remember once when uh, Tammy and I were sitting for our licensing interview, we went up to... um, Oak Creek Assembly of God, it's, I think it's still the biggest church, or uh, Assembly of God church in the state, and you have to drive around, it's, I can't even really call it a church, it's more like a campus, you have to kind of drive around to find the right door to go in, and, and we finally found our way into a room, and there's a lot of other couples sitting there, and we got to talking with a couple that um, the man had been ordained for years, and now his wife was about to be licensed. And we were talking to them about um, going out and searching for churches and, and how to um, interact with pastoral search committees and all that kind of stuff. And they told us a story of a pastoral search committee that they had set up an interview with this church. And they showed up for the interview and they had somebody out there to park their car for them. And what they didn't know is a person parking their car actually went through their car because they wanted to kind of look through their car. They wanted to see how clean it was. They wanted to see how organized it was. They wanted to make sure their registration was in date. They wanted to like check everything in that car to kind of see if there was any clue of the character of the people living within it. Not only that, this pastoral search committee had sent people secretly to visit the church that they were in already and ask people about um, what they really thought of that pastor and what was going on in that church. And those people that went there actually followed the pastor and his wife around to see where they stopped and see what they did and everything like that. Yeah, you were kind of shocked by that. I remember, you know, when we sat down and talked about that. I mean, they were really, really thorough in who they wanted to call as their next pastors. And they, you know, because really anybody can get through a job interview. I mean, if, if you go in there and you present a certain face to the people, you can get through a job interview and, and be fairly convincing. You know, you, you can do that. If you really want to get to know somebody, though, you ask everybody else in, around them what is, they're really like. And that's kind of the focus of our study of the book of James this morning and over the next few weeks is getting to know Jesus through seeing his bold little brother here. And by studying this book, we're going to learn more about God. We're going to learn about how salvation works. We're going to learn some more about Christian living and a little bit about Christian ethics. And a few of the things I want to accomplish through this series is get to know God and see how God interacts with us on a daily basis. Explore the conflict that we have sometimes in our minds between the, necess- or the necessity of obedience to the moral law of God that we see in the Bible and, gra- and existing in grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. 
and where those two meet and where those two intersect and how we live our lives within the conflict and the tension of those two things. And the third thing I want to do is I want to see the heart of Jesus' little brother, of how he went from his biggest skeptic to the pastor of the church that was in the New Testament, and that was the church in Jerusalem. Let's pray. Father God, we just ask, Lord, that you be with us over the next few weeks, Lord, as we dig in to this book that was written by your brother, Lord. Father God, just enlighten us. Let us see truth in this book that we have never seen before. And let us come to a deeper appreciation of everything you have done for us at the cross and through your resurrection and sending the Holy Spirit to us. Father God, be with us over the next few weeks and may we grow to learn more about you, be more like you, and allow your kingship even more and more in our lives. And Father, we ask this in your name. Amen. First thing we have to establish is what James we are talking about this morning. The New Testament has three different people in it that they call, that have the name James. James is a very common name then. Actually, Jesus was also a very common name. Jesus is actually the Greek form of the name Joshua. So it was a very, a very popular name. If you think about Joshua was one of the heroes of the faith, so a lot of people wanted to name their kid after one of the heroes of the faith. And that is, pro and that is how um, Jesus got his name, outside of also being ordered by the angel that you're going to call him um, Jesus. That was, it wasn't, uh, Jesus wasn't necessarily that unusual of a name at that time. And neither was James. So there was multiple different people in the New Testament that had the name of James. And we're going to kind of see which one we're talking about here. The first one is James the Greater, he is called, or James the Great. James was the son of Je Zebedee and one of the original 12 apostles and the brother of the apostle John. Now, some people believe that he wrote this book. The problem is, is that we have it nailed down pretty, um, the dates of some of the things that happened in the early church. And one of those dates that we have nailed down was when James, son of Zebedee and brother of John, was martyred. He was martyred in 44 AD. The Council of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15 did not happen until 50 AD, and James, uh, James spoke at that. So, and James was written, the book of James was written around 52, 53 AD. So we know that this could not be that James that we have here. There's another James that the Bible speaks about, and he was one of the original 12, also one of the original 12 apostles, and this is um, known sometimes in church circles as James the Less. You see him spoken about in Matthew 10, 10 chapter 3, and he is called James the son of Alphaeus, and sometimes he is confused with this James, but we will see here that he can't be the same person that wrote this book, and one of the reasons is that we really... The church and history has absolutely no idea what this James did. We have no record of anything he did other than being called one of um, Christ's apostles. 
the book of, uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs records him as being martyred for the faith, but we really don't know a lot about what his ministry was or anything like that. So we really don't have any basis for thinking that, that he wrote this book, um, but we'll see in, in a few minutes the James that really did write this book. I'm sure that James, son of Alphaeus, had a wonderful and awesome ministry, but whatever it is, we'll have to wait till heaven to figure that out. The third James that we are going to discuss, and that is the focus of who I believe wrote this book, and the majority of, of theologians believe wrote this book, is James the is called James the Just, and he is the son of Joseph and Mary after Jesus was born. And we see him listed... Um, as one of the sons of Joseph and Mary and half-brother of Jesus in Matthew 13, starting in verse 54. And it says, When he, Jesus, had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, and th so they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is his mother not called Mary? And his brothers, James... Joes, Simon, and Judas, not Judas Iscariot, this is another Judas, or Jude, and his sisters, are they not all with us? Where did this man get all these things? And so they were offended at him. But Jesus said to him, a prophet is without honor, or is not without honor, except in his own country and in his own house. What many people because of the way church history unfolded, what a lot of us don't realize is that Jesus had half-brothers and half-sisters. Joseph and Mary went on to have other children. In fact, Jude, also called, um, listed here in the, the scripture that we just read called Judas, Jude also wrote a book of the Bible. And Jude, in that book, refers to himself as the brother of James. So we kind of see that the family tree is kind of spreading out for us and proving back that of who exactly this James is. Now, the reason that, we, that people try to take James and, and shove him out of Jesus' family is because during the Middle Ages and, and late, late coming up on the, the first century after the biblical accounts and into the Middle Ages, there was a belief that came out within particularly the Catholic Church, which was the church of the Middle Ages. A belief came out, particularly from Jerome and, and a few of their theologians, that talked about the perpetual virginity of Mary. And the perpetual virginity of Mary is this idea that the siblings of Jesus that, the, that Matthew plainly talks about here were actually stepbrothers and stepsisters of Jesus, that Joseph had been married and widowed and then took Mary, as an old man, took Mary to be his wife. I think that's a pretty important bio, um, historical fact that the gospel writers would have put in there, particularly Luke being the Gentile. I mean, you could, I guess, make the argument that Matthew, Mark, and John were Hebrews and wanted to kind of protect the propriety of, of the Holy Family. But Luke was a Gentile writing a private letter to somebody at the time. He would have put that in there, I would have think. But it's, it doesn't appear anywhere um, in the Bible. Another problem with this, this idea 
is that Joseph had all these children prior to Mary is why didn't they all, and if they were adult children at this time particularly, why didn't they accompany them to Bethlehem for the census? They would have been just as particularly James as the eldest son would have been required to register also in Bethlehem and would have been traveling with them, but he is not mentioned at all at Jesus' birth. He did not have to flee with his family into Egypt. There is absolutely no mention of any of these other sons coming in and to Bethlehem. It's never mentioned in the Bible, nor it's is it ever remembered in any legitimate church writing between 100 and 313 AD when the Council of Nicaea happened, which formulated the Christian creed known as the Nicene Creed, which is a kind of a, a longer version of the Apostles' Creed that we probably all know. So this idea didn't really show up in Christian teaching until at least 800 AD, and it wasn't widely taught until the Middle Ages when an apocryphal work called the Nativity of Mary was introduced into the Roman Catholic population. And really, if you want to look at what the biblical um, evidence against this idea is, you just have to look back at the Gospels. And particularly Matthew chapter 1, verse 24, when it talks about the, that Mary tells Joseph she's pregnant, Joseph has never touched her, so he gets in his mind he's going to divorce her quietly because if he makes a stink about it, she gets stoned to death. So he's going to put her, put her aside quietly and divorce her. And God gives him a dream that tells him not to do that. And then it says that Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took him as his wife. And verse 25 is, is the central part of this but did not know her until, until she brought forth her firstborn son. So it just shows us right there that they were a typical husband and wife, that they had marital relations. And this is very critical. You think that this is just a minor point. We have to consider the Jewish culture at the time. Jewish weddings were kind of set up as a betrothal, where they pledge their, themselves to each other. This is what we would call the engagement. Except in Jewish culture, it, they were more or less married at that point. They were considered married. The man would then go, he might go away, or he might go elsewhere in town, or, or out in the country somewhere, and build a house for his bride, and then come back and take his bride. They'd have the huge party, wedding ceremony. Toward the end of that wedding ceremony, the bride and the groom would literally leave the party and go into a special room that had been prepared for them and consummate that marriage and then have the proof that they had consummated by coming out. And I won't, get, I won't get into that too much. But they would have the proof of that and it would be shown and then they were considered to be legally married in the Jewish culture. So if Mary and Joseph and Mary had never consummated their marriage, they were never married which would have made, been pretty difficult for Jesus to, to say that he came out of a, a holy wedlock, at least on his human side. So it is kind of important that, that we see that, that against that idea of the perpetual virginity of Mary. But now that we've established who we are talking about, let's talk about him in relation to James, in relation with Jesus and his family. 
Let's look at James the skeptic. How many people here grew up in a family where you had an older brother or sister? How many grew up in a family that you were the older brother and sister? Yeah, that, that, it's kind of rough for the second and third child sometimes. You, you have kind of this, this idea that you're growing up in somebody else's shadow. If you go to school, everybody compares you to the person who came first. And it's even worse if your brother or sister is an overachiever and you're not quite up to that. You know, when I went to, when I went to school, I was the older brother. And so my brother constantly came up five years behind me. You know, I was an athlete. I really didn't do that well at school. But I was an athlete. I was relatively popular and, and everybody. And then my brother comes along, and he was just constantly living in my shadow. And if you grew up in a house of multiple siblings, you kind of have an idea about that. Either somebody's following you or you're following somebody, and you kind of have an appreciation for that. But just think for a moment, if you're James, and your older brother is Jesus. Think about that for a second. You're coming up behind the perfect man. Think about the, the, the tension and, and just the, the brotherly and sisterly relationships that would have been happening. Wouldn't you just kind of hated that sometimes? I mean, just, you know, my brother hated coming up, and he wasn't really athletic, and he didn't go out for sports or anything, and I was known as a, a you know, football player and wrestler and everything, and he came up on, under me, and he's just kind of, James, you know, my brother's name is James, too, um, he just kind of comes up, and, and everybody's putting all these kind of expectations on him, and he's not living up to him, and he said, man, it was tough coming up to that. But now you're growing up, you're James, and you're growing up with Jesus. You know, your older brother in that case isn't, you know, isn't God. You're, not, you're never going to look at him as God. He's just annoying, goody two-shoes guy that everybody's like, why can't you be more like Jesus? Why can't you be more like Jesus? Why can't you be more like Jesus? Imagine growing up like that. So he's growing up. He has Jesus as his annoying, goody-two-shoes older brother, never does anything wrong, does everything perfectly. And then you're growing up in this house, and then all of a sudden, you know, Jesus is taking care of the family business. He's taking care of mom. Mom's living with him just as, a, as a, oh, the eldest should, you know, take care of the mother after the father dies. He's doing everything perfectly. Then all of a sudden, everything changes. Jesus reaches the age of 30, takes off with a bunch of 12 guys, starts wandering the countryside. Now, all the responsibility for the family business falls on James. All the responsibility for taking care of mom falls on James. Not only that, but there are rumors going around that Jesus is kind of going a little nuts here. They start hearing stories, people coming through on caravans and, and trading in Nazareth and all that. And he starts hearing rumors. And, you know, as the, older, as the eldest brother who's, who's taken responsibility for this, James gets it in his head that he has to go and probably take care of this. And probably, you know, Jesus has gone off the deep end. we got to bring him back home. He is not a believer in Jesus at this point. 
So he, he gets the family together, gets his mom together, gets his brothers together, maybe a few of the sisters, and they go out. They keep hearing these rumors about Jesus confronting and casting out demons, healing the sick, feeding a bunch of people with just a couple pieces of food, and it's just it's getting crazy. And they're starting to get to, to worrying about this, and not only that, they probably got a visit by the local synagogue leader saying, hey, uh, you know, we're hearing about your brother, and your brother keeps condemning us. You guys need to take care of this. You know, to us, that really wouldn't mean anything if the pastor showed up to your house one day and said, you know, you need to take care of your relative. I mean, shoot, half the church would probably throw the pastor out and say, none of your business, get out of here. And then go on Facebook and say, I just threw the pastor out. And a whole bunch of people would say, yay, show that bigot who's boss. You know, but in first century Israel, in first century Israel, this is a big deal. Synagogue leader shows up on your doorstep and tells you to do something, you better go do it. Because this man literally had life and death authority over you. So James gets the whole family together and they go to look for Jesus. And they finally catch him. They finally catch up to him. They're, he's wandering Israel. He's, he's slightly over into Jordan and all that. What would be modern Jordan now was Israel at that time. Um, so they're wandering the countryside looking for him. I mean, it's not like walking from here, you know, a half mile up to Quick Trip. I mean, they're, they're probably like walking at least to Eau Claire from here and, and looking for him. So they're wandering the countryside, and they finally catch up to where Jesus is. You know, they're walking up to the door. And they see one of the disciples, and, you know, they, they're going to know who James is. And James is like, hey, you know, i, I got to see Jesus here. Can, can you get me in here? He's, you know, because he's surrounded by such a large crowd. I need to see Jesus. I need to see him right now. Do you know how far I've walked? I have his elderly mother right here. He needs to pay her some respect. He needs to come out and talk to his family right now. So, you know, the disciple's like, ooh, ooh. You know, I'm, in a, I'm caught in the middle of a family fight here. He's gonna go, he goes up to Jesus and says, hey, hey, Jesus, you know, your mother and brothers are outside. They said, get out there now. You need to get out there and talk to your family right now. What did Jesus say? Yeah. Jesus answered them saying, who is my mother and my brothers? And he looked in a circle at those who sat around him and said, these are my mothers and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother, my sister, and my mother. Now, I don't know exactly when James became a follower of Jesus Christ, but I don't think it was that day. I kind of think that James, standing in the back saying, come on, heard that and said, let the Pharisees have them. He goes, you're telling me I have walked all over this countryside looking to you, coming here for your own good, and you're just going to dismiss me, and not only me, mom. You're going to dismiss mom like that? Let the Pharisees have him. He's gone off the deep end. We're washing our hands of him. We're done. I think it took, actually took a resurrected Jesus to change his mind. I think it took his mother saying, look, I was there. I saw him. I was holding him when they took him down from the cross. His blood covered what I was wearing. I helped wrap and put him into the tomb. He was dead. And then he was alive. 
And I believe that one of the people, and the Bible even indicates that one of the people that Jesus appeared to was his brothers and James. I believe that that is what it took to bring James and seeing his older brother for who he really was. And that's how I want to expect um, spend the rest of our time together is look at James the believer because you know what James didn't go halfway with this James didn't just say okay my older brother is king he's God he's Lord you know let me let me you know sign a piece of paper say I'm a believer and I'll go sit in the back of the church no James went all in with his belief he didn't just show up at Christmas and Easter. He went all in, and he became the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, one of the principal leaders of the New Testament church and the author of one of the books in the Bible. So let's look at James the doulos. Doulos is a Greek word which means bond servant, and it is exactly how James saw himself. In James chapter 1, verse 1, it says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. You know, you see the humility of this man. It just occurred to me. You see the humility of this man is that he calls himself a bondservant of God and of the Lord, Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't say my brother Jesus Christ. He said the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't even try to pull out the family card. You know, to so many of us say, you know, I came up under David Wilkerson, or I followed Steve Hill, or, or, you know, this person discipled me, or that person mentored me, or all that. James immediately says, I am a bond servant to God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ, not even his brother. Now, I want to look at what a bond servant is. We've kind of talked about that a little bit in Sunday school, but if you weren't here, I just want to review that a little bit this morning. The idea of bondservant came as a form of a welfare system to the, to the um, people of Israel. What would happen is if a family, for example, was out kind of on an outskirts of, of a community and got raided by um, maybe by a warring tribe or something, and everything got taken away from them, and now they're left destitute, they didn't have any other family in the area, the family, and particularly the head of that family, could sell himself into slavery and, and bring his family along with him and be able to provide for his family for a period of, up, of not um, exceeding seven years. So they would do this, and it was not slavery in the way that you and I think about slavery. It was indentured servitude. They would actually earn a wage that was given to them at the end of this so that they could have enough money to get back up on their feet, go buy some land, equipment to till the land, or, or whatever um, type of business they were involved with. And it was a way for them to get back up on their feet. And it was not, you know, the chains and whip slavery that we think about slavery. It was indentured servitude, and it was a way that, that the community could support the people that, that would, for one reason or another, become destitute suddenly. Now, if at the end of the seven years, this person says, you know what? I really love my master. And my life now... Serving him is so much better than it was out there plowing the field. Maybe they just weren't, they had a brown thumb, they weren't a good farmer. Or maybe they tried to be a silversmith and they never could make it work. Or maybe, you know, whatever industry they were involved with, 
they had a dream, it didn't work, but you know what? I'm happy. My master is a good master. He's got a good family. He takes care of me. He blesses me. And he go, he's going to go to his master and say, Master, you know, I know that my seven years is coming up. Can I continue to serve you for the rest of my life? That is how I want to live my life is as your servant. So the master would, would put him under oath. They would go to the elders of the, of the community. They would take an awe. It's kind of like this stick here with a little bit of a sharp edge. And they would, they would put his ear on the doorpost and they would take this awe and punch it through his ear. And so you'd have kind of a big hole in his ear, and that would identify him as a bondservant to somebody. And that mark of a bondservant, you would think that's kind of a brutal, but that mark of a bondservant didn't say as much about the servant as it said about the master. It showed that that master was such an honorable and good man that somebody would be willing to sell themselves permanently into slavery to serve that person. That is how James describes his relationship with his big brother now. He doesn't even call him big brother Jesus. He calls him Lord and Master and says, I am a bond servant. I have willingly given my life to the service of God and Jesus, my King. And that is how the entire book of James is laid out. James speaks to us from the first century when he says, you know what? Don't look at me. I could easily tell people I was the brother of Jesus. I could easily tell people that, you know, I have this huge spiritual pedigree and make them look at me like this. But I'm not, I am nothing. I am a bond servant. I am one who serves the king as a slave by choice. But let me tell you about my big brother. Let me tell you about my Lord and my king. Let me explain what his work on the cross has done for you and I. Let me open up the scriptures and show you the tension that exists between law and grace. Let me tell you about faith versus works. Allow me to warn you about the power of your tongue. Let me counsel you to avoid worldly wisdom if it contradicts the nature of God. And let me focus you on serving God this day so that you don't have the need to boast about tomorrow. Because tomorrow is not assured of anybody. Tomorrow you could be standing before Jesus and have to give an account. These are some of the topics we're going to be covering over the next few weeks. And musicians, if you'd like to come back up. I want to talk a little bit about James's legacy. Chronologically speaking, as far as when the New Testament books were written, James was first. If you put the books of the Bible in order of when they were written, James came as the first New Testament book. He was the first person to write about anything regarding the New Testament theology and the, and the change from obedience to the law through faith in grace. And he was the first to tackle that and how that fit in. These man's words that we're going to be studying for the next few weeks, not because I wanted you to get to know a person, 
but because I want you to get to know God and the way that he interacts with us and the way that, that he um, administrates salvation through grace. So we can some, come to terms in our own head of what it means to live for God. James, again, would tell you he's not all that important, but his brother is. And it's his brother who we want to make famous in our lives. Thank you for tuning in to the Whitehall Assembly of God podcast. This is Pastor John Oscar, the senior pastor of Whitehall Assembly of God. If these messages have blessed you, I just encourage you to subscribe to these podcasts and you'll be able to hear every single message that comes out of Whitehall Assembly. If you are interested, go on Facebook and like us on Facebook. We do have a Facebook page, Whitehall Assembly, in beautiful Whitehall, Wisconsin. We also have a website that you can visit, whitehallassembly.org, or you can come visit us in person. We are located on the corner of Dewey Street and Sheila Street in Whitehall, Wisconsin. We hope to see you there someday. If these messages have blessed you, I'd just like to encourage you to contribute toward us being able to continue to bring them to you. You can see that on our website, top right corner of the page. If you have any questions, you can contact me at my email, pastorjohnoscar at gmail.com. If you don't mind, I would just like to take a moment to pray for you before we go today. Father God, I just ask, Lord, that every single person who listens to these messages will be brought into a deeper relationship with you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let them experience the love and forgiveness that Jesus bought for us on Calvary's cross. I ask, Father, that you just use it to enrich their lives, that you use it to make them good ambassadors of the kingdom of God and bring them into your presence someday. Let them be fruitful, let them multiply, and let them be used mightily for you in these last days. Father, I commit them to your care now. In Jesus' name, amen. God richly bless you.